0: I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Richard Curry. And before we get to Richard, I have a few announcements. Our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com, and there you'll find photos of our guests. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to the guests' social media and links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube page, too, if you find that. Subscribe. Subscribe to all those things. I appreciate it. You'll also find links to Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio and Spotify. And basically, anywhere you get your podcast, So if you're on any of those platforms, which most of you are, I would appreciate if you A, subscribe and B, give us a good rating because that helps people find the show by boosting our presence. And that's a cool thing for you to do. So I'd appreciate it. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody, you'd be right for the show, or maybe you want to ask me some travel questions or just say nice things. You can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's travel Tales podcast at gmail.com. And someone who reached out to me was Richard Curry. Richard is a man in Aberdeen, Scotland, who decided he desperately needed a change in his life and decided to go backpacking in Southeast Asia, which a lot of people do. But he took off for two months and it made a profound impact on him. So much so, when he went back home, he was determined to get back as soon as he could, which he eventually did, not to travel, but to live. And the country that really spoke to him was Cambodia. So he found himself living and working in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, the capital, the big city of Cambodia, where, like a lot of men, he got into some pretty big trouble. <laughs> and a lot of it, like a lot of men who visit, was alcohol-fueled. He now admits he was a, you know, an alcoholic. And as happens with many people with addictions, they get into a bit of trouble here and there. And man, does Richard have some stories. He ended up living there for about six, seven years or so. He worked for a television production company and then ended up making what he called the biggest mistake of his life in taking half ownership of a hostel in the capital and running that. And he made it almost a year before deciding this was killing him and he had to get rid of it. But again, lots of stories, as you can imagine. He later ended up taking a job teaching English in China and then... COVID hit, and then he lasted the first year of COVID in China, which you can imagine has a lot of stories in itself. But now he's back in Scotland. He's got a handle on his addiction, which congratulations to him. And in telling all his stories to his friends, they finally told him, hey, man, you got to write a book. And he did. The book is called Beers, Tears, and Broken Veneers, a frenetic memoir about living in Cambodia as an expat. And it's all in there. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. There's a lot of stories. He sent me a copy of it. It's on Amazon, the Kindle edition, and you want a Kindle because it's a pretty thick book. (laughs) I'm telling you, the guy's got a lot of stories. And the names have all been changed to protect the innocent. Even his own because he's written it under the pseudonym of Lewis Friend. So if you go check out the book, and it's not Richard's name, but Lewis Friend, that's Richard. Buy the book. It's really entertaining. And if you've ever spent time in Southeast Asia backpacking, as I have, some of these stories sound a little familiar, but a lot of them, I never went as hardcore as he did. So I could live vicariously through him in reading these stories. And I'm enjoying the book. So check it out. Again, that title is Beers, Tears, and Broken Veneers, a frenetic memoir about living in Cambodia as an expat. We'll have the link to the book at TravelTalesPodcast.com. It makes for great reading and also makes me thankful I don't have an addictive personality. (laughs) I mean I enjoy a beer like the next guy but not like this guy but I had a great time meeting him and I enjoyed our conversation and I think you will too please enjoy my chat with Richard Curry
1: (laughs) Richard Curry welcome to the show thank you so much Mike pleasure to be
0: here Richard Curry, you are talking, as as people can tell from your accent, you are from Alabama. Space.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Australia. <laughs> Australia, you're very close. Uh, Aberdeen, Scotland. Aberdeen, Aberdeen, Scotland.
0: Okay, also the home of uh, Willie the groundskeeper. Groundskeeper Willie, I believe.
1: I, I, there's been is some he debate. from Aberdeen? Well,
0: I guess there's one seat. There's been a lot of debate amongst the Scots, of course, as there's debate on everything uh-huh. online that uh, they were trying to figure out where he was from and he did wake up from a dream once and just yell Aberdeen and then
1: well well, let, let's go through the characteristics <laughs> he's got ginger hair he That's wears true. a kilt and he has a thick accent he must be from Aberdeen Scotland okay perfect
0: okay so um you're back in Scotland are you living there permanently or are you just passing through these days
1: no so I've basically been back King living life as a digital nomad for about 12 years so every one year or two years i come back to scotland i've got friends and family in aberdeen i've got family in liverpool so i come back i go to liverpool then i come up to scotland and i've been back in britain for about two months now okay well uh welcome
0: back to your hometown what's the first thing you eat when you get back to scotland
1: the first thing, it has to be like a, a rowie. Do you know what a rowie is? No. It, it's basically, it's like a Scottish pancake and it's made from lard. <laughs> and it sounds disgusting and it looks disgusting. But for me, it just encompasses all the flavors that are <laughs> representative of Scotland. um, And it's really tasty. So I have a few of those. Um, Nice cup of tea. Proper mm-hmm. Scottish tea—you can't get good tea anywhere else in the world. <laughs> C- certainly not Cambodia. No. Um, but I like—I like a good cup of tea.
0: Okay. Well, I remember uh, I stopped in once in uh, my only time in Scotland. I went to the—I uh, went to Glasgow and I went to the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival.
1: Oh. And the, I saw a
0: comedian. Uh, you know, Danny Boy. He's a Scottish da- comedian. Danny Boyle uh b-h-o-y i believe is uh was his name now
1: boy i might, might might have heard of him might have heard of him but he had a
0: he does a one-man show there every year and uh he was talking about one of his jokes is about the, the scottish diet and some some article had come out they did a study where the unhealthiest diets in the world
1: <laughs> and, oh yeah and scotland I, I was below
0: it. like uh ethiopia or some or the sudan or something and so was, our diet is worse than people who had no food that was the that was the. Well, joke.
1: Well, well in scotland we like to deep fry a lot of food like food that should not be deep fried such right. as pizza we oh deep fry that sounds pizza. Awful. the mars bar do you know what a mars bar is? oh
0: sure i've seen that i've yeah. seen that so
1: yeah. we dip the mars bar in batter and then we fry it so the center of the Mars bar is like lava. So when you bite into it, you burn your whole face and look like Mason Verger out of Hannibal <laughs> or the English patient. Um, but we we like to fry food. We love to fry food.
0: Oh, frying the pizza. That's a crime in uh, Italy. That's actually a...
1: tasty. Yeah. Or oh, they, would, they would hang <laughs> us up by our scrotums in Italy, but it's, it's very tasty. You have to try it. Well,
0: thank you for uh, reaching out and, uh, We should talk about the book. We'll get it out of the way. We'll get the plug out of the way. And I love the the title of the book, Beers, Tears, and Broken Veneers, a frenetic memoir about living in Cambodia as an expat. So uh, I've managed to, uh, you sent me a copy, which is very nice of you. That's no Uh, problem. But I've also, you know, I've I've got as far as I could in a few days, but it's... Before uh, you fell asleep.
1: (laughs) No, I loved it. (laughs) It's interesting. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. When, when I wrote the book, I thought about all the other travel memoirs that I had ever read in my life. I love reading travel memoirs, and I wanted to make this one as funny, adventurous as possible, and I just took every single bad experience that I've ever had backpacking <laughs> and I threw it into the book. Because as you know, if you read a book and everything goes right, it's very tepid, If everything goes wrong, it's highly entertaining. So I just threw in all the most embarrassing things that have ever happened to me into one book. Um, And it was a very cathartic experience because uh, another thing that I've suffered from is alcoholism. Um, So to put that into a book, I found it very therapeutic to actually write it down and see how I came through that problem.
0: Right and uh, well, I was saying it was like one of the reasons I couldn't finish it because there's a lot of stories. It's about five hundred plus pages, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of <laughs> stories. Um, the actual printed version of the book is bigger than the Bible because there's <laughs> so many pages. And many of my friends said it's too long. It's too long, and I'm like, it's twelve years of my life living in Cambodia, working in film production, owning a hostel, fighting with numerous people, breaking my veneers five times. There's so much that happens, and that's why it's so big. But people that read it just love it. It's got a very quick pace, and there's over 150 stories
0: without bragging. Without bragging. (laughs) And speaking of the Bible, it actually has more sin than the Bible. So And more sin
1: possibly on <laughs> more swear words. Um I'm sure, I'm sure right. of it. Well, congratulations
0: on your sobriety. How how long has, have you been sober?
1: Well, well, I I wouldn't say I was completely sober. I I used to drink every day and now I maybe drink two times a month. Before I went to Cambodia, I would binge drink very heavily. But then when I went to Cambodia, Cambodia has such a large social scene that you just get sucked into it and you end up going to multiple parties, meeting more people, getting into adventures. So the social scene for the first time in my life, I was the life and soul of the party In my drinking just took off exponentially to like the levels of Oliver Reed or all those uh, <laughs> great drinkers that we read about. Um, but I've toned back my drinking, and what helped me cut down was selling the backpackers that I owned for a year, um, because I drank every single day when I owned the backpackers. It's very shameful behavior, but it's part of my life, and I was able to get through it. So when you owned a backpackers
0: hostel, and it, it had a bar in it?
1: Yeah. It oh, was well, that's dangerous. <laughs> right, right in the middle of Cambodia. I knew it was a bad idea, because... I was a borderline alcoholic and buying the bar, with the hostel was stepping over the line. Me owning a bar is like an obese person owning a burger joint. You know right. what I mean? You're going to overindulge. And I did overindulge and I knew within a month, it was a bad idea, but I had $15,000 invested in the hostel. So I just had to go with the rides um, and I had some amazing experiences but had multiple bad experiences as well, and most of them came from being a degenerate alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah. Well, let's back it up and and talk about how this all started. I, I from what I read in the book, I mean, you you grew up in Scotland and really hadn't traveled out of the UK that much, other than like a a couple I, trips to you know Spain or something with your family, right?
1: I I was greener than a dollar bill. I had never traveled by myself. The only traveling I did was down to Liverpool to meet my, to see my mom who lives in Liverpool and backpacking was just, it was this daunting uh, adventure that people went on. And I thought there's no way that I could do it because there's so much planning involved. And it was 2011. I was drunk. I was on my second bottle of wine and I started watching the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. And you probably remember the first 10 minutes in the beach, it's in Khao San Road. And I just started to watch Leonardo's character as he walked through Bangkok for the first time. And I just thought, I want to do this. I think this is what will bring me adventure, excitement, and a semblance of happiness to my life. So that was the seed so I just started planning this adventure to go to Southeast Asia for two and a half months. I went to Vietnam, Cambodia and Thailand. And that was the best decision I ever made in my life. If anyone is depressed with their life, if things aren't going according to plan, get a backpack, fill it with shorts, T-shirts and condoms in whatever uh, percentage you want and go to a country like Cambodia thailand vietnam and it will broaden your horizons and it will open your eyes
0: i will say uh the typical story of this and when you say you know people want to start over uh thailand you know i i've traveled to thailand uh, you know five six times and i yeah i love it but there are those guys you realize there's a lot of dudes that are running away from something and there's a lot of that or they're starting over and you know yeah
1: everybody's got a story you know <laughs> Everybody that I met in Cambodia, especially when I opened a bar, they were running from somebody. It might be the law. It might be a debt collector. It might be an ex-wife. It might be their children, they're running away from yeah. something. In Cambodia, just seems to, it's like a halfway house for all these degenerates that are <laughs> running away from somebody. And I'm, I'm not being arrogant or dismissive when I call these people de- degenerates, because <laughs> I am a degenerate, and my book is a testament to that. But uh, C- Cambodia is such an amazing country, and it does have a wide variety of people that visit it many people come to backpack. And as you identified Mike, many people come there because they're running away from something or they're running to something.
0: Exactly. Both could be true, but, uh, uh, the typical story of this is like the beach or something. It would be Thailand and a lot of your yeah. stories. And I've interviewed a number of people who've done kind of the same thing you have. And Thailand was usually the spot. And usually, I mean, it's a much, uh, more popular country in terms of the tourist infrastructure and, uh, you know, they've just been doing it longer, and Cambodia, exactly. and they don't have the the horrible history, recent history of Cambodia. Yeah, so the Cambodia
1: and the genocide.
0: Here. Yeah, I mean, people who grew up, you know, around me, uh, around my age and stuff, Cambodia just had this, you know, it had a lot of baggage to it. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm yeah. sure people ask you, and I've traveled to Vietnam, and my only experience in in Cambodia is went to going to Simreap and um, Anchor Wat, you know. Anchor Wat, yeah. Uh but I never did the capital. Um do this Phnom Penh, am I saying that right? Or is it Yeah, Phnom Penh, yeah. Okay, so I am saying it right. Um
1: so why Cambodia and not Thailand? So rather ironically I aimed for Thailand, first of all. I was like you. I looked at Thailand and I said, that's the number one location for backpackers to go to. So I aimed for Thailand and I said to myself, I will stay in Thailand for two months. I'll be like Leonardo DiCaprio. I'll go (laughs) to Khao San Road and then I'll go to some beach. And there's not going to be anyone else around. And it's going to be this stereotypical backpacking holiday. But I start to speak to a girl online. I met her through a website called travel.org. And you can speak to different backpackers and maybe meet them because I was backpacking myself. And it's very daunting if you want to go backpacking solo because you don't know what's going to happen. And if you're by yourself, you have no safety blanket. So I met a girl. We'll call her Alison. I'm not going to give you a real name. I met a girl and she said, let's meet up in Thailand. She was only traveling for two weeks. So we arranged to meet in Thailand. And then a week before, she said, you know what? Vietnam's very close to Thailand. Let's go to Vietnam first of all. And I thought, OK, let's go to Vietnam for five nights. Then we'll go straight to Thailand. Two days later, she phoned up. You know, Cambodia is right in between Thailand and in uh, Vietnam. Let's go to Cambodia. So we ended up going to Thailand. Sorry, we ended up going to Vietnam, then Cambodia. I was in Vietnam for four days. Vietnam is an amazing country, but I only got a taste of Vietnam because I was only there for a very short period of time. As soon as I arrived in Cambodia, I remember... The first day that I was there, I remember the first minute, I remember the first interactions that I had with the Tuk Tuk drivers, I immediately felt drawn to these people, they were so friendly, they were so grateful, I remember a Tuk Tuk driver said to me, thank you so much for coming to my country and it just touched my heart and I immediately fell in love with Cambodia. And unfortunately, the girl Allison I was traveling with, she wanted to go up to see him reap after three days, and I said to her, "No, I want to stay in Phnom Penh because I had merely scratched the surface of Phnom Penh, and I want to stay for longer." So I ended up staying in Cambodia for two months, and it was incredible. It was so just you,
0: incredible. Did you ever finally make it to uh, Thailand?
1: I, I did after two months of my trip. So once me and the girl Allison went her separate ways, I met two male backpackers who wanted to get into adventures, who wanted to go out partying, who wanted to meet the girls. So we ended up traveling together for three weeks and we went all over Cambodia. And then my money started to get very low. I had too much fun. I met too many girls. I drank Too many beers. And my funds went very low. So I ended up working in a bar on the riverside in Phnom Penh for five weeks, and they paid me in beer. So... (laughs) I made, my, I made sure that every single night I got my money's worth and I drank yeah. about 15, 20 beers.
0: So you kept and your it, Scottish diet going, which was I, good. I kept
1: the diet going. I kept <laughs> the diet going. But working in the bar, uh, looking back and it was maybe a wasted opportunity because I didn't do any more traveling. I just stayed in Phnom Penh, but I met so many people. I forged lifelong friendships with Tuk Tuk drivers and I surrounded myself in the Cambodian culture so it was amazing but unfortunately i was on a tourist visitation visa which only lasts for 2 months so at the end of 2 months i had to leave cambodia and believe me i didn't want to leave my last night i was crying rivers i didn't want <laughs> to leave i had to leave and then i went to thailand for 2 weeks and that was amazing as well so you know i having been to all three of those
0: countries myself. And, and, you know, there's certainly differences in lifestyle in, uh, you know, the economies of all these places and the infrastructure and everything else. Um, but you really responded to the people in Cambodia. And what was, what do you think are the big, I do hate, I don't want to generalize people too much, but I mean, what was the big difference between the Cambodian people and say the Thailand people and the Vietnam people that you met?
1: Everyone that goes traveling has a different personality. Everyone has a different way of reacting to local people. Um, my personality, I don't know what it was, but I went to Vietnam, I didn't connect with the people, and I cannot, and there were friendly people, but I just didn't feel that connection that I did in Cambodia. And I can't put my finger on it because, like I say, I've went to Vietnam, Thailand. And Cambodia, and they've all been very friendly people, but there's just something open and honest and welcoming about the people in Cambodia. Now, the weird thing is, I've met lots of people that said, I don't like Cambodia, the local people were never friendly to me. And they prefer Thailand or Vietnam, but the Cambodian people seem to emanate to me. There was something about my personality, maybe because I bought them beers. I gave them free <laughs> beers at the bar. Um, but I, I got I, news I just, for you.
0: That works in every country, by the way. does it? <laughs> Darn it! I, I thought it was just Cambodia. Yeah, Germans um, will like you for the same reason. If you, if you keep buying the beers. You know.
1: Okay um but but yeah the, there's just something about Cambodia that's always had a place in my heart and I I spent 10 years in Cambodia um and people make the place you could go to the best country in the world the cheapest country in the world with the best tourist attractions if you don't feel a connection to the people if you don't feel warmth from the people you won't want to stay there um and, and, and I assume you money... felt that warmth from Cambodia oh great
0: and I assume your money went a little farther
1: in it, Cambodia
0: it, than Thailand for sure.
1: I, I of Cambodia, Vietnam, and Thailand, I personally found Cambodia to be the cheapest country. When I was living there, I got down to six hundred dollars per month rent, internet, food, going out two times a week, six hundred dollars, just crazy, and wow. I wasn't struggling to get by. I wasn't eating one meal a day. I was eating three meals a day and I was living in a very nice apartment on the riverside. It's possible to live very cheaply. And I'm Scottish. I thrive on living cheaply. If I can live (laughs) cheaply, I go to sleep very happy, very happy. And I love negotiating with people. I don't, a lot of people frown upon negotiating with locals. If you go to fruit market and somebody wants a dollar for a bunch of bananas... It's deemed inappropriate to negotiate, but some people like to negotiate in Cambodia. They do like negotiating. And I used to enjoy the negotiations, even getting five cent off an apple. I would deem that a victory, a major victory. (laughs) And it's, it's good fun to negotiate. It's good fun, providing you're not being insulting. Like if somebody says, I want $5 for this item and you say, okay, I'll give you 20 cent. That's insulting. But, you know, just negotiate a little bit.
0: Ah, oh, that drives me bananas every time. I, I, I'm i not a good haggler. I'm like, I hate markets and bazaars and- I love I just, it. Uh, do you? Yeah, I, I I'm love bad it. at it. I'm so bad at it. That's why I hire an agent. You do the haggling, I'll give you the
1: 10%. I'm not nearly important <laughs> enough to have an agent. Well, really. yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh,
0: I'm getting less and less though. So. But uh, so when you go there, I mean, I'm sure all your friends and family and, and most people around the world- uh, especially if they've never been, their biggest concerns are crime and corruption yeah. and that kind of thing. So um is and I've from what I've seen in the book and read, and of course you've I'm I'm only a little tiny way into it. You've already had a few br- brushes with the law. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so um how how did that compare? And um I I would assume that would be most people's fear of going there.
1: So before I went to not just Cambodia, Southeast Asia, I was scared because you don't know what's going to happen. That's the most terrifying thing about backpacking. What will happen? What if this happens? What if that happens? In my experience in Southeast Asia, if you're very careful, if you don't wave your belongings around, if you don't get drunk and go with nefarious people, it will be a very safe experience but if you start getting drunk and you go with a prostitute or you buy drugs, bad things will happen. And in a country like Cambodia, I would go months without anything happening and then I would get drunk. I would go down a dark alleyway. Things would happen and then I would get in trouble. But every single time that I've got in trouble in Cambodia... I blame myself for being drunk or for doing silly things. But I've met many people in Cambodia that said, many uh, backpackers that said, this country is so dangerous, I hate this country, I got robbed last night. Oh, really, what happened? Oh, I was buying some cocaine from a drug dealer and then this happened. Oh, well, if you're speaking to drug dealers, bad things will happen. (laughs) And the moral to that story is don't buy cocaine in a foreign country.
0: Yeah, especially ones uh, you know, and where they the death penalty could be the punishment oh, for, of course, smuggling or <laughs> drugs, and Pl- they still places do it, like Bali and yeah, Singapore, actually, and they'll still do it. You know, somebody yeah. tries to get it, sneak in drugs, and you're just going,
1: you know what the punishment is? Exactly. Oh, in, yeah. in Cambodia, you know, I've I've smoked joints. There was places in Phnom Penh that you could literally walk in and smoke a joint. But you can't just walk outside and smoke joints. I used to see people doing that, and they would say, What the hell are you doing? Put that away. Oh, I thought you could do it. Where did you read on the internet that you could walk <laughs> around Cambodia smoking a Bob Marley sized joint? Right. Put it away, you'll get arrested.
0: Well, I mean, I've been offered everything overseas as we as we are, especially as a as you know, a foreigner walking a man by himself, you're offered Everything. Exactly, and the two things you're offered the most are drugs and women. Yeah. Um was it, but there's you know, I still, no matter where I'm at and whatever state I am, there's a line I just don't cross for myself. Yeah. And did you have that point even in your drunkest state, you said, I'm not going there.
1: You know, I'm not because you are offered, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? When, when I'm sober, I'm very sensible. You could offer me drugs you know, like making love with a beautiful woman, mm-hmm. I will say no, 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 no. But when I'm drunk, I'm an idiot. And there's so many things that I've done and I've woken up in the morning and I've just been like, why on earth did I do that? And many of the mistakes that I made are in my book. And it's embarrassing to tell these stories, but it's highly entertaining for the reader. But I've I've done things that I shouldn't have done. That's all I'll say. Um, But it's, it's very easy to lose control in Cambodia. It's very easy to lose control if you're drunk. When I was drinking in Aberdeen, the biggest trouble that I would get in was falling asleep in a nightclub. But in Cambodia, there's more opportunities for trouble, more doors open up, and you've got to be very careful and you've got to be very wary of who you hang out with. The local people that I hung out with, the tuk-tuk drivers, they were people that I trusted that were very honest. But I know tuk-tuk drivers that are like gangsters. And if you get drunk and go with them, you will get in trouble.
0: Well, speaking of that, uh, real quick, give me the uh, the story that I read about uh, the tuk-tuk drivers who ganged up on your, on your friend <laughs> that you were out drinking with. <laughs>
1: Uh, do, do, do you want to hear the full story? Or do well, you want no, a condensed just you do
0: an abridged, uh, always condensed on the podcast.
1: Oh, okay, I'll <laughs> condense. Uh, basically, uh, many of the people in the book, they're based on true life people, but change the names. I was out drinking with my friend, Ben. He was very drunk. An American went- guy. An American guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was an American. Okay, else? <laughs> come on now. Um, So we went out drinking. I was drunk. He was drunk. We went into a girly bar where there's women there to give you back massages and to laugh at your jokes. <laughs> so I had two girls massaging my sto my shoulders, and Ben was speaking to the girl behind the counter. I fell asleep. When I woke up fifteen minutes later, Ben and the woman were screaming back and forward pointing their fingers, screaming in French. Don't know why they were speaking French, but they were speaking French. <laughs> well, so the, the older kid,
0: people still know French around that area. Yeah, well, they, well Fr- French is a colonized very, them all back it, in the day. It, yeah.
1: ex- exactly. Um, so the girl behind the bar, she got so infuriated, she walked out from the counter and left the bar. And I'm watching her thinking, where on earth is she going? Why is she leaving the bar? And I said to Ben, what did you say to her? Oh, she was just saying this and insulting me. And then the girl came back into the bar. She said, pay your bill and get out. So I'm paying the bill. And I'm thinking, why did she go outside? And then we go outside the bar and there's 30 tuk-tuk drivers waiting for us. So I trapped myself. I looked at my friend Ben. His face was white, like Casper the ghost. And I knew what was going to happen. He was going to get beaten up. And I I might get beaten up as well, like a two for one deal. So I looked at Ben, I said, let's just leave. If we're going to get beaten up, we're going to get beaten up walking. So we started walking through the tuk-tuk drivers and one of them pulled out a wooden club and started to beat my friend over the head with it. Um, And he proper gave him a belt in and my friend was on the ground covering his head. And my first instinct was to to, to run away. I was terrified. I've never seen anything like that in my life, but I had to save my friend's life. So I waded in amongst the tuk-tuk drivers it was too many of them. I got thrown aside. They're whacking my mate over the head over and over. And I turned around and I seen the barmaid that Ben had insulted. And I went over and gave her money. If you're in Thailand, Vietnam or Cambodia and somebody gets offended, offer the money. And I gave yeah. her $20 and she shouted over, chop, chop, which means stop, stop. And the stop beating him up. And I picked up my friend who had so much blood over him. He looked like hellboy and we ran away to the next street corner, and he was completely concussed, completely concussed. He didn't know what happened. He went to the hospital, and he phoned up his mate who phoned me the next day, and he said, why did you beat up Ben? And I said, what are you talking about? Ben said you beat him up. And I said, I didn't beat him up. The tuk-tuk drivers (laughs) beat him up. Oh, he doesn't remember any tuk-tuk drivers. So I had to tell my friend what had happened. And then I seen Ben and he had this huge bandage over his head, but he was humbled by the whole experience. And sometimes you've got to get your ass kicked before you learn your lesson. Yeah. Do you ever know what became of Ben? He's back in New York, I believe. Um, Ever since he left, we haven't really spoken um but you know we didn't have a falling out sometimes you make great friends when you travel and then you get back to reality and you end up not speaking again um but he's back in new york but ever since that incident he didn't say anything to anyone that might be controversial he just kept his mouth shut and it, i think he understands that in a country like cambodia if you open your mouth you might get yourself in trouble so you've got to be very carefully yeah you've got to be very careful sorry
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember I was there was a guy that wouldn't leave me alone on the street in uh, Hanoi, Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, I just kept telling no, 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 no. But he would just, he wouldn't stop. Yeah. And finally, I think I told him to fuck off and he understood that. (laughs) And uh, then he started to, you know, get a little testy. And I went, you know, what am I? And then I stopped. Thank God I was sober and really kind of like, wait a minute. I don't think getting in a fight certainly as an american in vietnam yeah (laughs) i don't know what kind of treatment i would get from the the police but uh yeah uh, it probably wouldn't be the fairest treatment (laughs) and it's like we're gonna fight some kid here Uh, no just move on and so hopefully you know i i I always
1: i always say to backpackers when you're in another country the rules that you live by in your own country Take the rule book, rip it up, throw it down the toilet because it's a different game out here. Um, I actually, I'll tell you another quick story. I was in Sihanoukville, which is the south of Cambodia. It was my third week in Cambodia. And we were out drinking, me and two friends. And there was a group of girls, literally 14, 15 years old. And as I walked by, one of them said to me, fucking bald, Tourist, like mocking the fact I've got no hair. And I reacted the way that I reacted in Scotland, which was to turn around and tell her, go fuck herself. She grabbed me by the t shirt and punched me twice in the face and ran away, almost broke my nose. And I stood there, my nose opened up, blood all down my t shirt, looking like Bruce Willis and Die Hard. (laughs) And I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. And my friend said to me, What did you say? Oh, nothing. I just told her, go fuck yourself. Well, there you go. That's You shouldn't have said that. And ever since then, I didn't say any, <laughs> anything to anyone. You insult my hair, I'll just sit there smiling. I don't care. I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> That's good advice to
0: every every tourist. Don't get punched yeah. in the face. Keep yeah, your mouth every shut.
1: Bold tourist. If you have <laughs> no hair, you go backpacking. You will be insulted. Just smile. Don't say
0: anything. So you did this tour. You finally finished your backpacking tour. You ran out of money. You go back home. Yes. And when did you return to Cambodia?
1: So when I came back home, it it was very difficult for me because for the first time in my life, my eyes had been opened to this big, beautiful world in Southeast Asia. And I came back to Aberdeen. I lived in a studio apartment, which I kept while I was traveling. And I came back, no job, no girlfriend, no hair. My nose was <laughs> bent Um, And it was very depressing for me and it was very difficult because at nighttime I would would literally lie in bed and think about this life that I led in Cambodia, this amazing two-month period where I was backpacking for three weeks and then I was a bartender for five weeks. And what I understood was, although being a bartender, I was drinking, I wasn't technically working. I had an amazing time and I would rather be a bartender in Cambodia and get paid with beer than live in Aberdeen, Scotland and be signing on and getting money from the government. So what I did very quickly was I told my family and friends, I'm going back to Cambodia. And they said, you're going back on holiday. And I said, no, I'm going back to live. So as soon as I said that out loud, I just put the game plan in motion I done a TEFL because I wanted to become a, a English teacher. When I went back to Cambodia, I wanted to lead a sober life. I wanted to work. I wanted to be part of the community. So I done my TEFL. So I had a qualification to teach in Cambodia. And then within six months, I was back. Sold all my stuff. Gave up my apartment said goodbye to my family and friends and then I was back in Cambodia in 2012 back to live back so, to live
0: well so when did the uh hostel come when you said this was the worst decision of your life how long were you back before you sighed? because a lot of guys sit around and have that drunken idea we're gonna buy a bar and I, then you I, wake up in the morning and usually forget it <laughs>
1: It, it was like that. It actually happened in 2017. So I went back in 2012, and then I bought the hostel in 2017. Okay, um, but, but before that, if you want to do it in chronological well, you, order, which apparently yeah. is a very difficult word to say. <laughs> um, you were I worked in China th- for a bit, didn't you? I, 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 and that's after the hostel. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going pop fiction. Sorry, you go ahead. We <laughs> were ahead. jumping around. Um, I actually worked in film production. So when I first went back to Cambodia, I did one month of hard drinking. I want to get all this out of my body. I want to get all the drinking and debauchery and partying out in the system. <laughs> and I tried to get a job as an English teacher, but unfortunately in 2012, There was an influx of expats coming to Cambodia. I only had a TEFL and a diploma, and I was trying to compete with people that had degrees in teaching, people that were university educated. So I was unable to get a job as a teacher, but I applied for a job at a film production company in Phnom Penh because I have a background in filmmaking. And to my absolute horror and shock, they offered me a job as a production coordinator within their organization. And I got a job making movies and TV shows in Cambodia. I worked for this production company. I worked on big TV shows like Naked and Afraid, River Monsters, 50 Ways to Kill Your Mommy. I was the production (laughs) coordinator on these TV shows And for people that don't know what a production coordinator is, when you come and film in Cambodia, you can't just turn up with your sound equipment and your cameras and say action. You need permits, you need paperwork, you need an MOI from the government. So what I would do is I would organize this on on behalf of the production crew. So then when they came to Cambodia, they could legally film. And I did this for two years with that production company. You were a local fixer? As we say, exactly. I I I was a fixer, but unfortunately, during this period of being a production coordinator, a fixer, my drinking started taking over. There was more opportunities for partying. I I met more people. I started drinking at different bars, and I met even more expats. So going home at night. So I I finished work at 5 p.m. Monday to Friday. So then I would go home and I would just think, well, this sucks. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to a party. I'm going to meet girls. I'm going to make new friends. So I started going out one, two, three, four times a week, five times a week. And then the drinking actually started to impede my ability to do my job as a production coordinator.
0: Did you pick up the Cambodian language? I mean, did you I, get could you get around pretty good?
1: I I did when I first visited Cambodia as, a, as an expat, sorry, as a backpacker, all I learned was thank you, uh hello, thank you, please. But then Beer. when I went back to Cambodia to live, I actually made uh made a point of learning the language counting up to 20, learning how to say what is your name, where do you come from. I'm not fluent in Khmer, but I can get by. And it's very enjoyable when you live in another country, if you actually learn the language and you start picking up all these different words and you use it in conversation, it becomes more fun. Um, so I, I, can pe- I can speak it at an average level, but I'm certainly not fluent.
0: And um, we also... Uh got from the book that uh, you had a few health issues in terms of not only your teeth, you kept losing veneers, so you had to visit dentists there. Um, did you have to vi- visit doctors? And what kind of health care do did you get? Because I'm sure that's a big question. It's like, what if something happens? What if you have to go to the hospital?
1: Well, when I when I first went to Cambodia, I had health insurance and I would recommend anyone to get health insurance if you're traveling, because if you get in a motorbike crash you might get a bill for 10, 20, $30,000 and they will make you pay that money. So make sure you have good insurance. But yeah, I broke my teeth. I I have veneers across my upper jaw and I, hence the name of my book beers, tears and broken veneers. I broke the same veneer four times um, over a 10 year period um and you're talking about uh getting sick i got deli belly a few times eating the wrong food and stuff like that that happens to everyone when you go to a different country especially in southeast asia you are eating food that your stomach is not accustomed to so you will have diarrhea for possibly the first maybe the second week um but i've never had any major health issues probably the biggest. Um hospital issue that's ever happened to me was when I got in a motorbike crash because a chicken crossed the road when I was going through the countryside and I didn't want to run over the chicken. And my girlfriend was on the back of the bike and I slammed on the brakes and the bike went skidding and I split my leg just below my knee and you could see the bone. Oh. So uh one of the locals took pure alcohol, it was in a big plastic bag, looked like a volleyball and they poured it directly over my leg, so it was pure alcohol into my open wound. That was excruciating, but that was just an appetizer for the main course. They took me to, it looked like a mobile phone shop, so my legs piss them my blood, and I'm thinking, I don't need a phone. And they said, no, no, we have clinic through the back. So I went through the back of the clinic, and they had a single nurse, and it was sort of like a cot for a baby, that I laid in, and she took a a pair of forceps and a gauze and shoved it directly at my leg and started cleaning it. And I could literally feel the forceps scraping against my bone. And that was the most painful thing I felt in my life. And then she took out a needle with anesthetic to numb my leg. And I said to my girlfriend, why didn't she numb my leg before she started cleaning my bone. And my girlfriend said, oh, she didn't think you wanted it because she didn't ask for it. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to ask for things now. <laughs> um, but I, I got my leg stitched up and then I went to the insurance provider with the paperwork from the doctor that sewed up my leg and they refused to pay it out because it wasn't official hospital stationery.
0: Oh, boy. And the,
1: the guy said to me, why did you not go to an official hospital? instead of this backyard clinic. And I said, my leg was split open. Blood was pouring out of it. I didn't have time to drive 30 minutes to an official hospital and they refused to pay out. And it was only $50 for the treatment, but it's the (laughs) principle of the thing. You've got a $1,000 insurance policy. You should pay out. Yeah. So I canceled my policy. (laughs) Bastards. (laughs) Bastards.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, don't get hurt in America. I can tell you that much because you will be paying more. I
1: think. I I, I seen that <laughs> Michael Moore documentary oh, yeah. called Sickle, and that yeah. was eye opening for me because in my country we have national health. If you oh, get I sick, know. the government covers it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That we we could do a whole separate show on that, but uh, we know you know you have a lot of these stories of of mishaps and things that went wrong. What went? Right. Like, was there, was there moments that you can look back on certain stories? Like you remember one moment you just went, this was kind of magical. This this kind of thing doesn't happen to me back home.
1: So there's, there's many things that I've seen backpacking and specifically in Cambodia, there's places that I've been such as Mondokiri, which is this big forested piece of land in Cambodia In Kampot. They've got this magical town with this old colonial architecture. Up and see him, you've got Angkor Wat. I remember the first time I seen Angkor Wat, I felt like Indiana Jones. It was just amazing. But the best memory that I've got in Cambodia, and it's going to sound so boring, but to me it was special. I was on the back of a motorbike. Uh, My friend was driving. I was on the back of the motorbike in a place called Kampot, and we were driving through the countryside. So it was lush green grass, the sky was blue completely blue. There was no clouds and the road was orange. So you had all these amazing colors. And I remember being on the back of the motorbike and looking at this view and thinking, I am alive. I'm on the back of a motorbike in Cambodia. I have 10 weeks of traveling ahead of me and it feels amazing. And I felt alive and it's such a cliche and I'm saying it out loud and people are probably thinking that's so cliched. That's how I felt at that moment in my life, I felt like my entire life was an open book and I was writing new chapters and it was just beautiful. But in addition to that, the people that you meet, I've met so many amazing people that have became lifelong friends, people from Russia, people from Germany, people from Australia, the kind of people that you wouldn't normally meet and you're thrown together into this melting pot and the one thing you have in common is your backpacking in another country and it's just amazing it's just so amazing
0: for people who are thinking of like maybe going to cambodia for an extended time or working even there what is uh the visa situation and how did you stay long and did this have to be renewed year after year after year how does it work
1: so we If you go to, let's just talk about being a tourist. If you go to Cambodia, you get a 30-day tourist visa on arrival. You don't need any documentation. You don't need any of that crap. You just turn up. You pay $25, I believe the price is, before you needed a picture. you, You needed a passport picture. You don't need that anymore. You pay $25 to stamp your visa. That can be extended for 30 more days. So you get to the end of the 30 days, you take it to a travel agency, you pay another $30, $25, $30, and they will extend it for 30, 30 more days. But after that, you have to leave. But if you want to work in Cambodia, what you do is you come in and it's an e-visa, I believe, and they will stamp it as an e-visa. And what that means is at the end of the 30 days, you can extend it for one more or year but you need a work permit you need a permit from the government that says this guy's a school teacher would extend in his visa but i was in cambodia a year ago i didn't have a work permit i just had deep pockets <laughs> in a place like cambodia thailand vietnam money makes things happen i got told that i would not get a one-year visa I paid a little bit extra money and I got an official one year visa and I didn't have a work permit.
0: Oh, okay. All right.
1: Well, yeah. So your, your dreams can come true (laughs) in Cambodia if your pockets are deep enough. So uh, after working in the
0: film production crew or the T, you know, the production crew and everything like that, you, uh, when did the hostel come to be?
1: Yeah, so there was uh there was a hostel. I lived on the same street in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, street one four four. I lived there for eight years. And there was a hostel called the Riverside Backpackers that I used to be a barman in. And then I would go back and forward because I knew the staff and I knew all the tuk-tuk drivers. So I would go there drinking. I would go there every Sunday to watch the UFC. And in 2015, an Australian guy started, and me and and him became good friends, and he bought 50% of the business. Then in 2017, I was told the other 50% was up for sale, and they were only selling it for $14,000. And I spoke to my friend from Australia, we'll call him Harry, not going to use his real name. (coughs) He said to me, oh, you need to buy it. It's only $14,000. And he said, it's amazing. You get free beer. It's easy. The staff do all the work. We just sit back and the profits will roll in. And I thought to myself, you know what? That sounds amazing. And I spoke to a few of my other friends and they said, oh, my God, you're going to have your own bar. We'll come every single night. We'll support (laughs) your business. Buy the bar. So I thought to myself, I'm going to go for it because not everybody can say they bought a bar in hostel in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I paid the fourteen thousand dollars, and then within a month, I realized that I made the biggest fucking mistake of my (laughs) life because I literally drowned in beer. My friends who said they would come and support the bar came for the first few weeks, but then they stopped coming because it was too far away from their houses. And then I realized that owning a bar and hostel in Cambodia, while maintaining an alcohol addiction, was a bad a bad combination. So it ended up being hell on earth. It and- was quite possibly the worst year of my life. But looking back on it, when I wrote my book, there's so many stories and incidents in customers and fights and dealing with people that I put into the book. So it ended up being beneficial in that respect. But at the time, I've never felt so suffocated in my life because I had this anchor, which was the hostel attached to me, and I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. And believe me, I wanted out of it because I became a full-time alcoholic, I was a legitimate alcoholic that was going to bed at five o'clock in the morning drunk, waking up at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and I would start drinking by 4 p.m. I was a fully functional alcoholic.
0: And all the while, you're realizing, you know, we have this magical, you know, kind of... um mythical idea of people who say i'm gonna go i'm gonna retire and run a country inn or something somewhere And you realize you know you are like you said anchored to that place it's It's every day you're dealing with the public which is never a fun thing as someone (laughs) who's dealt with the public um and you're you're fixing toilets you're doing you're doing everything
1: the the most difficult thing about owning a hostel in a bar in Cambodia is your overhead stay the same every single month. So my rent, electricity, staff, outgo, staff satellite TV was $4,000 per month. So every single month, you have to sell $4,000 worth of goods, your accommodation, your beds, food at the bar and alcohol has to be over $4,000. If you come under $4,000, you've got to take that hand and put it right in your pocket. And that happened a few times. We made under $4,000. And believe me, when you're leading up to the first of the month and you don't have enough money, you've got a lot of sleepless nights. In in Cambodia, it's the same in Thailand, Vietnam, you have high season and low season. High season, you have lots of tourists and customers. Low season, you have less. And going through low season, that absolutely sucked because we struggled to get customers in. And the dorm beds that you would sell for $5 in low season, you've got to lower the price because every other hostel and guest house in the area, they lower their price as well. So you have to compete. So the value of your accommodation gets lowered and it's even more stressful. And then you have backpackers coming in you have a bed for five dollars they want to pay you one dollar and you're like what is wrong with you people (laughs) i have four thousand dollars worth of bills How can you negotiate with me? (laughs) But I do the same when I backpack. I try and negotiate. But what you don't think about and consider is that person that owns the business, they have bills that they're trying to pay. And if you're paying less money, that's less profit for them to put towards their bills. And it was just stressful. Every day, there was something happening. How did you get out of it? How did you get out of it? What I did to get out of it was it was... I I owned the backpackers for 10 months. It was exactly 10 months, almost a year. Eight months into it, I woke up face down in a girly bar. My wallet was missing. I didn't know where I was. I walked to the hostel and I had to pay my staff their wages. And they looked at me like I was scum because I was drunk at six o'clock in the morning. And I went home, I looked in the mirror and I just said, I cannot continue. I cannot do this. And I was literally killing myself. And what I realized was that I could not simply stop drinking. I had to sell the backpackers so I could stop drinking. So I had a very sober weekend, a very boring weekend. And on Monday, I went and I spoke to my business partner and I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm selling 50% of the company. And he said, well, what about me? Who are you going to sell it to? And I just said to him, I'm sorry, but I don't care. I have to sell my half of the business. He went away. He thought about it. He was doing it for longer than me. He'd done it for three years. And then he came back two days later and he said, you know what? Let's sell it together. And that's what we did. We just came together. We sold it for $35,000 and we got out of it. Wow. And somebody bought it. <laughs> a local some, or a, another. It, it was a couple, couple of expats, brother and sister from Ooh. Norway. They wow. bought it, but originally uh, we listed the business for fifty nine thousand dollars. I said, "Let's sell it for fifty nine thousand dollars. Some will buy it." Nobody bought it, so we had to lower it all the way down to thirty nine. And then the Norwegians came in and they offered us thirty two. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! So I had to negotiate back and forward, and we got the selling price up to thirty five thousand dollars. And that day that we officially sold the business and we got the money, that's one of the greatest days of my life because I went through hell running that backpackers suffering from alcoholism and then we sold it. It was an amazing day. An yeah, amazing... I
0: mean, you very easily could have lost everything. I mean, and I, never got, I, could out have, of
1: it. I, I know a lot of people that have bought backpackers in Cambodia and they've been sucked dry and they've been left with nothing. When we sold the backpackers, I got back $17,000. So I invested fourteen. I spent another $1,000 doing the place up. So I got back $17,000 and I made a $2,000 profit. But it's not the money. It's the fact that I got back my initial investment. If I lost that, I would have never spoken about owning a backpackers. The (laughs) fact that I made my money back, I made $2,000 profit, and I've got a wealth of stories. You know, I speak about it very happily that if I lost money, I would not be speaking about it.
0: <laughs> so, was the sale the impetus to to come home? Was that just like I gotta I gotta go home and regroup? Was that was
1: no, that no? Enough? So, I I sold it in two thousand and eighteen, and then I had a year of not doing anything of great interest, and then I made the second biggest mistake in my life, and I went to China to teach English two months before the pandemic started <laughs> mm-hmm. there you go so i was in changchun china for two years teaching english and china's an amazing country but if you go there during the pandemic kind of sucks <laughs> yeah
0: well you got out i mean uh, I what did. was your last day there was it in january or march or, or my, my last 2019? day
1: there it was Two. It was April two thousand twenty-one, and sadly, I had a death in the family, and I had to come back from China to support to support my family. Um, and that was during the pandemic, so I ended oh, wow. up when I left China, I couldn't get back into China, I couldn't get into Cambodia, so I was stuck in Scotland. This was two years ago, two thousand and twenty-one, and I couldn't travel for six months. So you were and in that, China
0: when everything shut down?
1: I, I was there. I was oh my there gosh. when the pandemic first got announced. And where I lived was a place called Changchun, China. Population, 8 million people. The day of the shutdown, somebody went outside the apartment block and said, there's nobody on the streets. And I said, that's an over-exaggeration. There must be somebody on the streets. And I went down, and it was like Will Smith and I am legend. There was nobody... <laughs> literally nobody on the streets. And I lived on a busy road. It was insane how quickly they shut down that country. How did you survive it when
0: you couldn't, could you not work? I mean, did you do it, everything Zoom or was it all online?
1: Everything was online. So we still taught, but instead of teaching in person, we had to teach in the classroom. And that was very difficult because we had 20 to 30 kids in each class. So we would do a Zoom Teaching conference with 30 windows, and all the kids had their cameras off. So mm. you would be teaching, teaching the class, and then you would say, Oh, Tony, what's the answer to this question? And Tony would come on and say, Sorry, teacher, my microphone's broken, and then turn it off. And you're like, <laughs> You just fucking spoke. Yeah. <laughs> and then you say to the next kid, okay, Jody, can you answer the question? And you could hear the mouse clicking. Is they were shutting down whatever they were watching on YouTube. Right. So it was difficult, but we still got paid. Man,
0: them yeah. them to be there and, and basically the ground zero of this whole thing must have been. Es- essentially,
1: wild. I'm actually thinking about writing a book about could what Could during yeah. the pandemic. E- exactly. A uh, uh, follow up. Um, But, you know, I I did love China, but if you were there during the pandemic, you don't see the country in its best light. And a lot of my friends were in Cambodia during the pandemic, and they had it just as hard, they were saying. So I think every country, it doesn't matter where you went, people suffered, and the life that you lived, being an expat in another country, ceased because the bars were closed. You couldn't socialize. It's difficult.
0: So the uh, now that you're, I consider you an expert now on Cambodia. I only know you know Sim Reap and you know Angkor Wat and Phnom Penh. Give us uh, some places where, if people are going to go, if they want to get off the main kind of track, what are some places they really should see?
1: So whenever people come to Cambodia, there's two places to go to Phnom Penh, which they come to experience the culture, and you go to. Various different sites where you can learn about the history of the Khmer Rouge, S21, and the Chong Ek, which is one of the main killing fields. And then they go up to Siem Reet to see Angkor Wat, which is one of the most amazing temples in the world. But in addition to that, you've got Mondokiri, you've got Kampot, you've got Si'anukville, you've got Korong, you've got Batambang, you've got an amazing temple really far up north called Preah Vihir, there's so many different places that many people don't get the chance to go to and that's why I used to like about owning the hostel was pointing to a map and saying you like forests go to Mondokiri you like colonial buildings go to Kampot I used to love recommending different places to people and there is so many different locations that are off the be- off the off the beaten road
0: how is the transport transportation system in terms of Trains and buses and getting to these places
1: well, there's not a public train system per se, but if you want to go from Phnom Penh to Siem Reap, which is roughly three hundred kilometers, I believe you take a private bus, and the bus only costs about ten to twelve dollars, and the buses are very nice. You get some buses that are absolute shitholes, but if you pay a little bit extra money, you'll get a nice bus with air conditioning, you might get internet if you're lucky. It's it you know, it it it's developing. Cambodia's there, there, constantly there. developing. There's always new buildings going up. So it's buses
0: that are gonna be the way to go.
1: Yeah, buses, or you can get a train. Uh, sure. Sorry, not a train. You can get a plane. You can go from Phnom Penh yeah, yeah. to Siem Reap by plane. But the bus the bus is only about six hours. Back when I first went, the roads were very unmaintained and uneven. And it took about seven, eight, nine hours. But it's a very quick journey now. Wow. OK. And did I see that you also went to Myanmar? I, I did. I went to when I worked at the film production company, they wanted me to go and film a promotional video in Myanmar. So the company that I filmed the video for, they paid for me to go over as a cameraman. And I went to Yangon Mandalay in Bagan, and I was there for two weeks. And it was amazing. But the difficult thing is I went there working. I wasn't a tourist. So the experience was from behind the lens of the camera. And I don't feel like I really immersed myself in the culture because because the camera is essentially a barrier but I still had an amazing time and it was paid for by this company
0: great yeah that's high on my list but uh, it's one of those countries that I I missed the window when it was kind of open you know and now it's been you know I think the military took it back and uh, yeah it kind of shut the door again so um, it's still on my list but I'm hoping for that window to open again but you were lucky you got in
1: Oh yeah, I, I I feel grateful to have seen it. Um, I I also recently, this was last year, I went to Ecuador and Guatemala, which is two amazing countries that I would highly recommend.
0: Yeah, Galapagos is on my uh, big list too. I,
1: I didn't go there. Um, oh, but I've on, heard baby. it's amazing. I'm, I'm a, little a little expensive. A little expensive. Exactly. I'm too Scotsman. cheap to go there. I'm too <laughs> cheap. I'm too cheap to go there. I I, I just went to Quito and I stayed down south sure, in this yeah. lovely town called Loja. <laughs> so bye, bye. Loved Ecuador. Loved Ecuador.
0: Well, uh, we're gonna start wrapping it up, but I'm just wondering now that you're back home and and uh does life seem a little bit boring? I mean, after what yeah. it's all this All that stimulation for so long that
1: it's it's difficult. And my friends always say to me, "Oh, what's the big deal? You know, you're you're coming back. It's just trading one location for the other." But once you see the sights of a traveler, once you live the life of an expat as a nomad, it's just adventure every day's adventure, and you're filling up your memory block, your memory bank, and your eyeballs, or being exposed to new sights and smells. And then you come back home. It's very difficult to lead the life that you had before. You want to taste the adventure again. And I'm sort of in this position. I've been in Britain for two months and I want to go, but I've got (laughs) a few personal things going on. But hopefully within a month, I'll be somewhere. Don't know where, don't know how, but I'm trying, I'm in the research phase and I want to go somewhere else. I want to, I want to be gone from this country and i don't hate my country i love my country but after 30 years i lived my life in britain and now i'm living my life the second part of my life life in other countries and i love traveling i love traveling
0: it's hard to keep them down on the farm once they've uh once you've exactly. seen hurry, as they say, you, you never exactly. look at a deep fried Mars bar again, the same way.
1: No, 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 no. Get that <laughs> away from you. Go straight in the bin. This is not going to my mouth. It's going in the bin. But give me that deep fried pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, do you ha- but do you have uh, any trips planned coming up?
1: Um, I'm actually, I'm looking at maybe Mexico and I'm looking at Spain, but I don't want to go on holiday. I want to go there to work because my money's very low right now. Um, I've been living off the money that I made in China for the past two years, and it's getting in the red zone. Um, so I want to teach in either Mexico or Spain. Um, so I'm looking into that. I'm looking into that. And plus, when all this big book money comes rolling in, you can just sit <laughs> yeah. back. And yeah, the yeah, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, r- writing a book. If there's anybody thinking about writing a book, it's more difficult than you imagine to make money. <laughs> And I'm finding out the hard way. I said to all my mates, I've got an amazing cover, the book's full of adventure, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. People will line up to read it. They ain't lining up. <laughs> I don't know where they are, but it's a mountain. I'm at the I'm I'm at the bottom of the mountain. Sure. I've got to push the book up to the top.
0: Well, tell people where they can get it. I know it's on Amazon and we'll have a link on our site, but they can get it on Amazon or anywhere else.
1: It's it's on Amazon. So the book's called T- Tears... Be- <laughs> I don't even know the name of the book. <laughs> the book's called Beers, Tears and Broken Veneers and it's available on Amazon only. Okay, Amazon Kindle Unlimited. You can buy the paperback or you can buy a copy. And it's a very big book. It's about 500 pages long. So it's good value for money.
0: So uh, where can people follow you, like on on social media?
1: Um, I I don't go on much social media, and any time I go on, it's simply not worth reading what I post. <laughs> so I would be too embarrassed to say, I think I'm on Twitter under the same handle, okay. Fears, Tears, and Broken Veneers, but it's not worth checking out. I would rather that people <laughs> checked out my book as opposed to going to my Twitter page, because I'm it. just going to post a picture of me eating a cheeseburger or something and and that's gonna make me zero money (laughs) on the cover of the book yeah (laughs) sure
0: so uh finally what do you think all your experiences and all you've seen around the world how has it changed you as a person and how has it changed how you look at people and how do you look at the world
1: my world up until the age of 31 my world Uh, began and ended on the shores of Scotland and of course I knew where Cambodia was, I knew where Thailand was, I'd seen movies, I'd seen documentaries but it's not until you go there that you understand what it feels like to actually visit an amazing country like Vietnam to visit a spectacular country like Cambodia. And it just broadened my horizons. If I had remained in Scotland, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, but I can say I was a filmmaker in Cambodia. I owned a bar and hostel in Cambodia. i have done all these amazing things. And it's basically taught me that nothing nothing is impossible. You can do it if you put your mind to it. And it's a big cliche but I remember before I actually went to Thailand for the first time, before I booked my journey, I was scared. I didn't want to book the plane ticket. And I wish I could go back in time and just slap myself. <laughs> and I'm I'm very proud that I took that step. Somebody's phoning me. That's it's so probably good. Amazon. We've, <laughs> we've sold a million copies of your book.
0: Yes, um, all this bump from this uh, popular podcast.
1: Sorry, sorry. I'm just going to decline. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, but, but backpacking has made me the person I am. For good or bad, it's introduced me to people, experiences, and it's filled my memory bank. I m- My book would not have existed unless I had went to Southeast Asia. And we should say
0: that uh, the book is uh, not written under your name. We've, so it, people it, get confused.
1: It, it's written under, uh, what's the word? Pacido? pseudonym P- pseudonym. yeah easy for <laughs> you to say yeah. it's it's written under an alias um mm-hmm. because i i like to keep my private life and my writing life separate but you know it uh it's written under lewis friend so if you see lewis friend that's <laughs> me i'm okay. your friend lewis friend
0: <laughs> and it protects your uh your family you know they can disown you if they read the book and say exactly one of it, us
1: listen to this podcast they'll be like he did what (laughs) um uh yeah yeah but uh beers tears and broken veneers available on amazon written by lewis friend thank you very much for
0: doing this man i appreciate it thank
1: you for your time i really appreciate it richard curry everybody